team for leading us. Thank you, God, for stirring us, for reminding us you're with us. How are we? Okay. Good deal. Um, well, we're going to talk about marriage. So uh, I'm kind of looking at the room to get a gauge for how that makes people feel, um, see the facial expressions. Some of you seem happier than others about that, more excited. Um, it was uh, the spring of 1997, and I was at a little country school in a, in a town called Jayton, Texas. Anybody know where Jayton, Texas is? Anybody? Exactly. My wife. And uh, I was sitting in a school auditorium, and on the stage there was a one-act play taking place. And there was a particular character in that one-act play uh, that had the job, the task of, um, I'll just call it wailing, uh, wailing for roughly 45 minutes straight um, as part of the one-act play. And uh, she was actually really good at it. Um, and I looked at my friend and I said, do you happen to have, this is going to sound really bad, kids, you might, you know. I have to filter this out. I said to my friend, do you have a gun so that I can either put myself out of my misery or her out of her misery? <laughs> Literally, I said this as a senior in high school. And I said, uh, just so y'all know, I've now been uh, happily married for 23 years to that woman. But that was my first love at first sight <laughs> with Jada Shock. And uh, at the time, Jada Brown. And uh, Thankfully, that wasn't the last time we uh, met eyes or I laid eyes on her, uh, but it didn't start great, <laughs> and uh, a little later in the hallway, we, uh, we met eyes, and then a couple weeks later, we actually uh, had a, a lengthy conversation, and you know, there's a lot more to it, but here we are. We're here, six kids later, and uh, 23 years of marriage, and God has been very gracious. He's been very good to us in it, but it has not always been easy. It's not always been pretty. Uh, I've not always enjoyed it, you know what I'm saying? Uh, there have been some really difficult challenges. Uh, there have been some really hard days, days when I've said, Lord, what in the world was I thinking? Uh, and, and I'm sure, as you can ask Jada, she'll tell you this, she's felt the same, uh, probably more often than I have. Uh, she's been so very gracious to me. But marriage is a tough thing, isn't it? It's a tough experience. But I want you also to hear me say that it's not all terrible and hard and difficult. It's incredibly beautiful, and it's powerful. It's life-giving, and uh, God is so gracious. And I think we spend a lot of time uh, in our world today as the church, uh, you know, trying to critique the culture and talk about marriage definitions and really condemn the culture about marriage when I think we should just be reflecting on the beautiful gift that marriage is that God's given us and living that out and putting it on display um, I think if we spent more time doing that, you know, the world would see the gift that marriage is and the beauty of what God's design is in it, rather than us just continuing to, you know, lob criticisms and critiques towards the culture, which if you're not following Jesus, you just don't get it, right? You just don't understand. Uh, and, and so as we talk about marriage over the, at least the next few weeks, now let's go ahead and lay it out up front here. We're going to talk about marriage for at least the next three and it may extend depending on how God leads us, but 
Um, we're going to look today at God's plan for marriage. And next week, we're going to look at the, the, the core problems in marriage. And then the last week, you can imagine it's going to be a P word. We're going to look at the power for marriage, for how we actually stay married and, and how we not just stay married, but in, in experience what God has for us in marriage, okay? So it's going to be a lot of fun, right? Okay, it's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to grow. And as a supplement to this, um, we have some marriage groups that are ongoing. Uh, some of those are taking place within our life groups. If you don't have a life group and you want to find a life group, I encourage you to find that. Not every life group is walking through the marriage content. Uh, there's books on the back table at the connection point when you came in today. You may have seen those, maybe you didn't. Uh, it's a book by Paul Tripp on marriage. And we're not going to be able to cover all the content. In fact, we're not even, we're not even doing uh, this series based on his book. But we are going to use that as supplemental material. Six gospel princi- principles that we can apply to our marriages. And I think it'll be really helpful. And so whether you're single, we'll come talk back to that in a second, or you're married and you want to grow in your understanding of marriage, it's a really helpful resource. And so we invite you to do that. And at the end of the service today, even if you want to connect to a group, you can, uh, you can do that by either clicking on the little QR code that's on the, the, uh, the little standard uh, uh, flyer that's over there, or you can come even talk to me or to Tim Gillen or one of us. We'd love to, to tell you a little bit about how you can get connected to a group because you're going to need to process this, okay? I don't want this to be just me presenting content to you, material to you, but actually getting into uh, reality with where you really are living every day and, and working through some of that. Now, here's what, um, here's what I think is important as we go into this, too. I understand that there's different people in the room who are coming from different places, and as, as I joked about facial expressions, the reality is there are a lot of different experiences with marriage. Um, you know, some of you are hurting because of marriages. Uh, maybe you were impacted by your parents' marriage in a, in a harmful way. Uh, you know, no, there are no perfect marriages for sure, but some marriages are worse than others, and they really do create some lasting hurt in our lives. Now, we have a God who's a healer, I think somebody called that out a while ago. Praise God for that, right? That we have a healer, and so we're not stuck there. But some of us come in even today feeling some hurts. Maybe we're in the middle of some hurts in our marriage, okay? Uh, maybe, again, you have been hurt so bad you never want to be married. You never want to put yourself in that position. So some of you in the singles category, maybe, maybe you were married and you've been hurt. and now you're, So there's some hurt around marriage, which I think is well some of that emotion kind of wells up when we start talking about marriage. Some of you are hoping to be married, so this aspirational desire to be married, maybe even headed into marriage, because we do have some couples that are well on their way. We even met with a couple this week doing some premarital, uh, and, and we're excited about that. There's a number of couples in this congregation that are considering marriage and, and are working through that. And so this next season, I anticipate there's going to be some weddings around here. It's going to be a lot of fun. Excited for what God's doing there. There's some in here who are happily married, like you actually would say, your marriage is doing really well. You've been married for two months, and you are, like, loving life right now, okay? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Had to say it, right? Um, some of us in this room, seriously, there's some of the early stages, you know. It's, like, um, it's all exciting and fun. But, actually, there's some of you who've been married for a while, and you started to taste the goodness of God in the persevering in marriage, because as I would say, 23 years in, I love my wife now more than ever, and I'm so grateful that I've, by God's grace, been able to stay in my marriage and to stay engaged in my marriage, 
And, uh, and so there's ways that, like, we're experiencing the fruit of staying in the game and being invested in listening to God and following his lead and working through the hard stuff. And I'm so thankful. That doesn't mean that every day is beautiful and rosy and easy, but there are, there are fruit of that. And so I just want to say to you guys who are either early in marriage or even, again, aspiring to be married, like, man, it is worth it. The long game is worth it, okay? And I can just attest to that, God's goodness in it. And some of you today are hardly married. <laughs> um, you are hanging on by a thread, and you're like, man, I came. Hopefully, we'll get something to help us get through this because, uh, you know, I, I'm not unaware that we can do a really good job superficially kind of saying everything's okay or showing everything's okay, but under the surface, there's a lot of problems. There's a lot of mistrust. There's a lot of hurts. Again, there's lots of challenges, but maybe you're hanging on by a thread, and, and I want you to know there's hope. God, God can move in your marriage. He can move in your life, and we're going to talk about some of those things in the next few weeks. And just know that um, I think it's important right up front to explain that, um, you know, I want to offer hope for, for, for your marriage if you're in one, or hope for marriage if you want to be in one, if God's got that for you. But uh, we can sometimes in the church overemphasize marriage, and in doing that, uh, we really can create an unhealthy culture of, around like marriage is the highest priority. And just let's remind ourselves that God is the highest priority, his kingdom is the highest priority, right? And that marriage has to find its place in that. Um, it's important that we don't get sucked into this idolization of marriage or idolization of a spouse who's going to make you happy, complete you, finish, you know. Like, all those things, like, that's just not reality. That's a myth that, that, a, that a spouse can bring you all the fulfillment and happiness that you think you deserve and, and want. Um, I think we really set up a lot of couples sometimes to, to go into marriage and then become very disillusioned because marriage is hard. It's a challenge. And, and they're like, wait a minute, I, I, I didn't think I was signing up for this. Uh, Jada and I had some of those moments along the way. Um. And so we can idolize it, and even the church, even we can tell people things that really aren't healthy even about how to, like, um, invest in a marriage without boundaries or invest in a marriage without, you know, like, having a way of, like, really um, helping our spouse and, 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 and be accountable, if you will. And so that's, we're not, we're not saying, just speak it out right now. If you're in an abusive marriage, we, we want to help you, like, get help. If you need help, we want to be a part of... If helping you find um, the resources you need to work through some of that, okay? Um, but we can also really, as a culture, we can underemphasize marriage. We can forget how significant it is. We can forget that marriage actually points to something much, much bigger, much more awesome, which is this transcendent reality that, as we're going to talk about in week three, that marriage actually points us to Jesus in the church. It, it points us to how Jesus is pursuing people. And it is a beautiful picture, but if we underestimate it or we minimize it, maybe even negate its significance, um, you know, you, culturally, uh, one of the reasons why the divorce rate in America has actually gone down in recent decades, uh, last, at least the last uh, couple here, is because people just aren't getting married. They just live together. They just actually spend time, you know, doing what married people do, but not being fully committed and in. And a lot of times, we, we see culturally, like the, again, the impact of that lack of commitment, that lack of what the Bible says is we're in a covenant relationship where most people in our culture, they want to look at marriage like a contract, and they want to look at it like whatever's convenient, 
and I'll be committed to you as long as you're making me happy or as long as things are going okay, but the moment things get hard, I'm out. I'm going to go try to find somebody else to, to meet that need. So I think we get all that, right? Ho- hopefully, but just up front here, just want to say those things, get those out on the table. And for those of you that have, you have a healthy marriage, again, and you recognize your spouse can't be Jesus, and you recognize your spouse can't satisfy your every need and longing, and that marriage is hard, and it is work, but it's good, you really are experiencing, hopefully, some, some pictures, some moments, some experiences of the, the goodness of God in it. Now, as marriage is one of the most beautifully hard things we can do, we remember that marriage wasn't created by people. It's not a, it's not a man-made institution. It's a God-initiated thing, right? And so it was not uh, created by people. They didn't just dream this up. God dreamed it up. He created it. And so we're going to start our teaching series in the book of Genesis, which is at the very beginning of the story, because that's where God begins this whole conversation around marriage and how he instituted it in the world. And to say that, it's interesting to note that the Bible begins and ends with a wedding. It begins with Adam and Eve and him bringing them together as a couple, and it ends with Jesus and the church being brought together in this wedding. And that might sound weird to you, but uh, guys in the room like, what? But it is. It is that, that's what the, the Scripture shows us. Again, this bigger reality, right, of our marriage actually giving a picture uh, of, of God and what he's doing. And it's also interesting to note that in the Bible, most of the examples we get about marriage are not good ones. So if you feel like you're, like, struggling today or really hurting, like, just if you just read the Bible and try not to be the one who's trying to filter it or clean it up or anything like that, there's a lot of jacked up marriages in the Bible, okay? A lot of things there. Now, it doesn't mean they're all bad. I'm just telling you, there's a lot of people in the Bible who struggle with this issue of marriage, struggle with this issue of deep relationship and oneness and intimacy and all the words that we're going to kind of talk about as we go. And it's very, very um, important to just remember, yeah, like that the Bible doesn't have a book in it called the book of marriage. That would be nice some days. You're like, hey, man, where's that book of marriage again? I need to pull that one out and read that one. <laughs> um, it's actually a holistic picture because our marriage is actually within the context of God's redemptive story. It's the whole plan. It's the whole purpose of God. It's the gospel realities. And we're going to talk about how that even works itself out practically in our everyday life. Okay? So to put marriage in its proper context. So Max Lucado said this. He said, God created marriage. No government subcommittee envisioned it. No social organization developed it. Marriage was conceived and born in the mind of God. It's good to know, right? So that's why we want to go to what his word says. And Timothy Keller, he says this, if God invented marriage, then those who enter it should make every effort to understand and submit to his purposes for it. So we don't impose our Christian faith on those who are not a believer in Christ, that are not followers of Jesus. But for those of us who are in Christ, we have an instruction manual. We have, an, we have insight on how we are to live out our faith and how we are to operate in our marriages. So back to this passage that Parker read for us in Genesis, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God, and he created them male and female. Now, it's important to note that God did not create Adam and Eve married. He created them male and female. And there's distinct beauty in that. And there's importance to that, right? that he creates them before the wedding, creates them before the marriage. So they have individual 
realities about who they are and, and the significant ways that he made them and even what they bring to the table in the marriage. And we believe as a church that the, the Bible lays out plainly that marriage is between a man and a woman. That's the way the Bible defines marriage and clarifies that for us. Culturally, we understand that there's people who push back, and it may not be a popular thing, but this is what the Bible teaches us, is that God makes man, God makes woman, and then he brings them together. And note again that in this, this incredible, incredible phrase that's, that's not about like any other part of his creation is that God creates people in his image. The only creation in the story that was created in his image are humans. We're the only ones who have these the God image imprint on us. And it's so significant in how we operate and how we work as people, how things tick, how, again, how marriage actually even works is, is tied directly to this being created as image. I wish we could spend more time there. We're not going to do that today for the sake of where we're headed. But just know this, that because we are created by God and in his image, there are realities to how we operate relationally that are directly connected. And so, as we think about marriage, we have to think about how God made us. We have to think about, you know, the fact that he did make us, that he is the one who made us, and that, again, he's the one who knows how we, we work and how things actually come together. So God created man and woman unmarried, distinct from one another. Marriage was created before the fall. Can you imagine marriage without the fall, without sin in the world? <laughs> That'd be pretty sweet, right? Because the reason why marriage is so stinking hard is because we're sinners, we're fallen. We're broken, okay? And in that, it makes sin hard because when you put two sinners together, <laughs> you're not going to get easy, right? You're going to get tough. We, uh, every time we talk about marriage, we come back to this idea that God wants, you know, a man and a woman to become one. And so we always just say that in marriage, what? My wife could repeat it for us, is that what we're wrestling out is which one we're becoming, Right? Because all of us in this battle, we want them to become more like us, and we want them to be, you know. And so it's back and forth. It's a tug of war. It's this, it's this challenge of being sinners who are self-focused and self-seeking and self-centered. So remembering, again, that God created marriage, created people and marriage to reflect him, to be a reflection of his image. There's a beauty that happens in this male-female distinctiveness. And I think it's really sad that culturally— we, we don't celebrate the uniquenesses of male and female enough, and so we get this weird ambiguity and confusion mess. Um, and, 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 you know, we, like, we want men to be like women and women to be like men. It's like, no, like you have unique beauty in who you are and how God made male and female. That's another sermon for a different day too, but it is part of this marriage conversation and how it actually works together, and specifically in this complement word that he's going to use later in the text here. So, Marriage is about two of God's created people coming together to accomplish his purpose for their life. It's just a real simple way to think about it, right? Marriage is about maybe, I would say, two flawed people coming together to, to, to do what God's called them to do. Um, I think I've said it to most everybody in premarital. You know, marriage is two sinners seeking God's desire together for their lives, okay? And so God's plan for marriage is beautiful and it's awesome. Uh, but it is work. It is work. And it is countercultural. Okay? So I'm going to give us just three um, big picture p- 
pieces of this today, and it's funny, I've never seen it this way, I was sharing with Jada, but just a a way to summarize what I think is in the text here, and we're going to jump back and forth between chapter 1 and chapter 2, kind of referring to both of them at some level, but a lot of times we talk about what marriage is, but we forget what marriage is for, And, and so as we look at the text, we can really see what marriage is for because of God's intended design that's laid out for us. So he says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And then in verse 18 of chapter 2, he says, it is not good for the man to be alone. It is not good for man to be alone. And then when he finally gets this, uh, this gift of a woman brought to him, he says, whoa, man, right? He says, this one is last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken from man. So, being created in the image of God means we are hardwired for relationship. Okay? Do you guys know that the Father, the Son, did y'all notice in when we read, let us make man in our image? This is God, and he's talking in plural terms. Why? Because God is in Trinity. God lives continuously in community. Perfect community. It's beautiful. Something that we can't even get our brains around, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that's the Trinity. And so in that community, God creating us in his image, he made us to be in community. And the only thing in the creation narrative where he says it's not good, because up until that point he says it's good, it's good, it's good. Even creating man's very good. But then he says what? It's not good for man to be alone. Now this is not just about marriage, by the way. So Kids, singles in the room, everybody, everybody in the room, this is about humanity, how we are hardwired. We were made for relationships. And we've seen in our country, we've seen in our world, even over through the COVID experience, like what happens when people get isolated, when they get disconnected from community. Things don't go well. It creates a, a context of real destructive behaviors and, and difficulties and depression and all those things that emerge because we were made for community. We're made in God's image to live in community. So God says it's not good that man is alone. And this is an interesting thought when you, when you consider the fact that um, a lot of people say, well, all I need is God. Is that true? The Bible actually doesn't say that. I know it sounds good to say the, all we need is God, but actually the way God made us is to live in community, right? And to he created other people That's why salvation isn't just a vertical reconciliation, but it's also a horizontal one, right? God is not just reconciling us to himself. He's actually reconciling us to one another. And that comes even next week when we look at the problems that really are undermining our marriages. But in this, we see, I would say, that that God's plan for marriage, that one of the primary things it's for is for friendship. Friendship. How many of you guys like friends? How many of you want friends? Kids, you guys want friends? I believe God intends us to have friends. You could use the word companionship, but we don't really talk about companions. (laughs) We talk about friends, people who we can do life with, people who know us, people who we get below the surface with, and they know things about us. They know our likes, and they know our dislikes. They know our hurts. They know our habits. They know our struggles, right? They know the things that we get excited about. They can sometimes even finish our sentences because they spend, like, but friends, friendship. We were made for friendship. We were made for this relationship. It's interesting that in the Bible, even in the, 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 the chapter about the faith uh, of the many people in, in Hebrews chapter 11, he talks about Abraham and some of these others, and he says he was a what? 
a friend of God. Friendship's a, it's not a bad thing. Friendship's a good thing. Friendship is a thing that describes depth of relationship, significance of relationship. We are created for this companionship. And Adam being alone, not good. God said, I'm going to show up. Now, did anybody else catch? Parker actually stopped and said, am I in the right place? Did y'all notice that? He starts reading it because have you ever noticed the gap between God saying it's not good and then what happens next and then God creating woman? What happens? God creates what? Animals. And he starts bringing them to Adam. And it's such an interesting thing that it says it's not good and then he gives them, starts you know, bringing these animals. And Adam's like, nope, nope, nope. <laughs> it's like he's naming them, but he's thinking that's not my kind. That's not my kind. Everything else has its kind. I don't have my kind, right? And finally, he has his kind, and he has this woman who God gives him, and he's, like, freaking out. He's super excited. Like, oh, yes, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. It doesn't get any more, like, exciting than that, right? Your kids are like, what? I don't even know what that means. Um, but here's the thing. He is, he is so excited about the fact he finally has one who is his kind. And it's because we are hardwired for friendship. We need friendship. And marriage is a context for friendship. God graciously provides the need that he put in us. He provides for the need he put in us. Now, just a word for singles. When you are searching for a spouse, a mate, guess what? Look for friends. Look for a friend. Build friendships. You know, our culture has all this weird jacked up stuff around attraction and what you're supposed to be looking for and, you know, are they, are they good looking enough? And do they, you know, like, but it's about friendship. I can't tell you how many couples we've talked to that got married based on romantic excitement and attraction and they got into it and they're like, man, I don't think we're even friends. It's like, man, that's sad. Build, build friendship. God, God intends our relationship to be friends. Now, praise God, some of them became friends. <laughs> but, but the goal isn't just, am I attracted to this person physically? So superficial, right? I'm not saying it's wrong. My wife, I, I, I was definitely attracted to her, and I was like, man, she is beautiful. Like, I, I want to get to know her. I want to be her friend. <laughs> praise God, we are friends now. Um, but what I'm saying is that cannot be your primary goal is just to be attracted, but it's a friendship. God designs us for friendship. Listen to what Timothy Keller, I'm going to quote him a lot through this thing, Meaning of Marriage, by the way, one great book if you're a book reader. But in his book, he talks about this. Friendship is a deep oneness that develops when two people, speaking the truth and love to one another, journey together to the same horizon. And he talks about marriage being a context for friendship. That we get to participate in each other's lives as friends, speaking the truth in love, like Paul talks about. And we do that, and we journey together towards this goal that he has for us. So, friendship is a gift that God gives us in marriage. If in your marriage you're struggling with friendship, it could be that you stopped doing the things you were doing when you were building a friendship with them back in the day, right? Like, talk to each other. Um, like, actually spend time together and get to know each other. People, uh, guys sometimes will say, I don't know how to love my wife well. And, and Tim Brown and I have talked about this. Like, how do you respond when a guy comes and says, hey, I don't know how to love my wife well? And he said, well, I can't tell you. I don't know your wife. Do, what do, you, what do, you, do you know her? Uh, what do you know about her? What does she love? What does she like to do? What do you, you build, build relationship, right? But 
Friendship is a gift of marriage that God gives us. And it is so incredible, even though it's so challenging, but to be known and to be loved. God made us for that. And marriage is a space where we can do that. But not only is God's plan for marriage and his desire for us to to have friendship, but also God's desire is for us to have partnership. Partnership. He says in the text, I will make a helper as his complement. Now, as soon as our people in our culture who are sort of on edge or um, maybe even already preconceived notions about this, they can hear that word helper and compliment and get up in arms and be like, wait, 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 wait. I ain't no helper. Or I can't believe they would talk about women that way. Well, you misunderstand what the word actually means. Um, men are not called to be these boss, bosses and, and, and to lord over the woman. Helper's not your employee, Okay. Someone who works for you, someone who you just tell what to do and they go do it. Uh, a helper is an equal. In fact, this, this word ezer uh, in Hebrew, it speaks to the fact that this woman was to come alongside of partner with man. And in throughout the text, it's not talking about value at all. It's talking about role. The problem with our culture and our world is because there's so much hurt and there's been so much exploitation and there's been so much domination by, by sinful human beings, they start to look down at this thing and say, like, it's a value statement, right? Or it's putting me in a category I don't want to be in, when actually it's, it's raising the, the, the value of women and the uniquenesses of how God's called them to live and to work. So he's not talking about personhood here. He's talking about how you function, how you practice in, in the gifts and the, in the ways God's wired you as a female. And so I one, I just want to apologize to women in the room that so many men have poorly done this, and it's created this context where women are fearful of doing what God's invited them in to do, to be that partner, to be that helper. It makes me so sad and frustrated that when we see culturally, um, you know, this machismo culture of male dominance, and that's not what God's talking about here. If anything, I always said this to a man, if you have to demand that your wife follow you, you are in the wrong place. Like, that's not leadership. Look what Jesus did. He showed us what servant leadership looks like. In fact, uh, John Mark Comer actually wrote a piece on this. He wrote a book called Loveology. Um, We may refer to it some along along the waves. Uh, He said the word helper... In Hebrew, it sounds derogatory in English, like God made Adam a personal assistant. (laughs) But it's not that way at all in the original language. Ezer can be translated partner, one who comes alongside to help achieve a goal. You know who else is called uh, a, a partner who comes alongside in Scripture? The Holy Spirit. Anybody think the Holy Spirit's not valuable? Not important, significant? Absolutely not. We know that God in the Holy Spirit is valuable and important, but he does what God has created, what they've, what they've intended for him to do, right? And so the Holy Spirit does that work. We get to also see how women participate in their role in that. Does that mean that women can't have a career? No. Does it mean that women can't hold certain leadership roles? No. That's not what we're talking about, okay? Now, I would say 
that when men do what God's called them to do, that is to lovingly serve and lead their spouses, women actually want to follow their leadership. But when they take advantage of them and they belittle them and demean them, of course they're going to resist that and reject that. And we see a whole culture that's jacked up because of that. So we get to partner together to accomplish the work that God has given us to do. And women, I am so, so grateful that we have your gifts, your abilities. I am a much more complete human being (laughs) in the sense of understanding how the world works because of my wife, who is my helper. She helps me a lot. Y'all have no idea. Well, some of y'all do, because you get to see it firsthand. But I would not be capable of accomplishing the work God's given me without my wife. God has gifted her to me to do that. A word for singles desiring marriage. Or maybe even just singles as you think about marriage. Ladies, look for a man who's at work. (laughs) Don't look for a lazy man who's doing nothing. Okay, that might seem real basic. Look where God put Adam and Eve. He put them in a garden to work. He gave them work to do, to create, cultivate. Woman, women in the room, when you think about men, where's that man going? What's he doing? What's the purpose that God has got him fulfilling? And consider, is that a purpose you want to get on board with? Now think about that. How many women think about that when they're, when they're considering a marriage? Not, not as many as you would think. <laughs> and so there's, there's um, this, this is just me practically, but when I, when I married Jada, before we got married, um, she'll remember a couple of conversations we had, but one of them was, hey, this is what God's called me to do with my life. How do you, how do you feel about that? Can, can, you, can you be on board with that? Can you feel okay with that? Is that something you feel, like where do you feel like God's calling you? And if she had said, I don't feel like God's called me to that, I would have had to say, I don't think we can, can move forward in marriage. That might sound extreme, but I'm just telling you, like, God aligns hearts in calling to do what he's called us to do. And so that's even come up along the way when I felt God was calling us to plant a church. And she wasn't, we were already married, and, and she wasn't um, feeling that. And you know what God did, told me? <laughs> Wait. Wait until she's ready. To love her is to wait and to care for her and prioritize that over my pursuit of my own agenda, my own fame. So what point is partnership. There is a partnership. And so singles, as you're thinking about who you want to marry, ladies, look for a man who's working. Men, look for a woman who, can, who is willing to, to join you in the work God's called you to. And again, we're not just talking about career path here, but we are talking about the work of God he's called you to. to there, there's alignment there. The third thing as we think about marriage, it's not just friendship, not just par- partnership. Those are beautiful things. But also discipleship. Discipleship. And all these things flow together because when there's friendship and there's partnership, you're going to rub each other's, uh, maybe put it this way, um, the scripture says, as iron sharpens iron, so does one man sharpen another. <laughs> so one thing I've learned about marriage is that it's a good place to get the rough edges knocked off. Amen? Some guys are like, yes, yes. Right? Uh, it's an interesting journey to be put into a marriage context where um, they don't think like you. They don't value the things, same things as you do all the time. They have different agendas for your day. 
<laughs> they have different perspectives on the way that the world works and what's, imp what's important in that moment. And you get to be confronted with your selfishness and your pride. You can be confronted with the reality that I need Jesus. <laughs> and, and so notice he says, again, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And God blesses them, and he says, be fruitful and multiply. And we always say that you have to birth them before you rebirth them, right? Some of y'all understand what that means. Josh gets it. Um, part of it is we, we do. We have kids in marriage, and we get to disciple our kids. And so discipleship is a part of that there as well and making disciples as a couple. But we first start with how we are following Jesus. And just to be clear, for those of you who might need a definition of discipleship, there's a lot of different ways to define it. But we just said, listen, discipleship is increasingly knowing, trusting, and obeying God. Knowing who he is, trusting his heart, and walking in obedience to his commands and his instructions. And all of that really is defining what love looks like. Because we want to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. But putting teeth to that means we know him. We trust him, we obey him, okay? So that's what it means to be a disciple. And marriage is a context in which we are discipled. We also disciple, and we together then disciple people, both our, our kids. Um, we're going to do a marriage series this spring, later in the spring. Uh, sorry, parenting. We're doing marriage now. We're going to do parenting later. Uh, amen. And uh, as we talk about parenting, you know, it's like, that's hard work. But it's discipleship. It's disciple-making. So here's what Tim Keller says. I love this. He says, marriage shows you a realistic, unflattering picture of who you are and then takes you by the scruff of the neck and forces you to pay attention to it. <laughs> Amen, Keller. I agree, right? That's what marriage does, and, and that's actually a healthy thing. It's a good thing. At the end of the day, we are, catch this, we get to join in God's work in their life, in our spouse's life. We get to participate in their journey of becoming like Christ, of becoming more and more into the image of the one who created them. What a gift that we get to do that. Hard? Yes. Always enjoyed? No. But it's incredible to watch. And in fact, this has been, this, this is, uh, um, it's interesting this week as I was reading through it, thinking about this very thing that, you know, everybody wants the happily ever after kind of story. We want the fairy tale, right? That's what we're sold. This bill of goods that there's a fairy tale that we live, and you become happily, happily ever after. But we are invited into God's deep work of making us into he, who he created us to be, who he intends us to be. I got to go back to Keller for just a second because he says this, and it just really got me fired up about my marriage. He says, within this Christian vision of marriage, this idea that we are actually discipling one another, here's what it means to fall in love. Everybody pay attention. Here's what it means to fall in love because we have a weird culture about this whole love thing falling in love and falling out of love, which is all about emotions, right? Infatuation, not commitment. He says, it is to look at another person, get a glimpse of what God is creating, and to say, I see who God is making you, and it excites me. And I want to be a part of that, and I want to partner with you and God in the journey you are taking to his throne. And when we get there, I will look at your magnificence. I'm going to get emotional. I will look at your magnificence and say, I will always knew you could be like this. I got glimpses of it on earth, but now look at you. That is discipleship and marriage. That we get to be a part of what God's doing in that. I think the problem with the culture's view of marriage is it's way too small. We have devalued what God has said is so important. So 
we've made it, they've turned it to just a superficial, superficial game about pursuing happiness. Singles in the room, if you are desiring marriage, ask the question, is this person someone who I, I believe can push me towards greater love for Jesus? Will this person challenge me to be more like Christ? And am I excited about the work God's doing in their life and want to join in with that? Like, that, that's different questions, right? That's, that's not the same question <laughs> you're going to get on, on the, the, the website that's trying to partner you up, okay? And, and I'm just saying, like, if you want a deep marriage that, that really, again, honors God and brings the type of fulfillment God intended and to thrive and to flourish, we have to ask different questions. We have to frame this differently. And God's given us that. You see, God has this master plan of filling the earth with his glory. And he wants closeness with the people he created. And he wants us to enjoy him forever. And marriage is a movement towards that. It is a process of us growing in that. And despite the pain, the heartache, the work it takes to be married, because we are sinners, marriage is worth it. It really is a grace gift. Now, some of you in the room, marriage may not be what God has for you. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, actually says that's actually a worthy calling. That's a high calling. And for some of you, maybe that is where God has you. Some of you may have been married and may never be married again. And I just want to say we're thankful that you're here, and we're thankful for the contribution that you give to the body of Christ. And we are thankful for you following the call that God has on your life. And you're... We want to honor you in that. Others of you, again, like I said earlier, are hopeful and, and even maybe headed into marriage. And as you do that, understand that marriage is so much more than what the world is saying about marriage. Understand that you're headed into hard, but you're headed into good. The beauty of all of this, like I said at the beginning, is that Marriage really is a picture of the gospel. And as we get into the next couple of weeks, and even as you guys do the study with the book, you're going to see, you're going to experience, you're going to talk about the grace that has to be extended in marriage because there are no perfect marriages because there are no perfect people. But the grace that we have in Christ to apply to our marriage can make marriage a beautiful thing. And that's what we want for you. That's what God wants for you. So let me pray for us in that. God, we thank you so much for this time. We thank you that marriage is not the end-all, be-all. It's not the ultimate. But we do see it as a gift, a good gift. And we thank you that in marriage, um, we are exposed and when we're exposed, it's an opportunity to dive deeper into your grace. To apply the fact that there's nothing we could ever do to make you love us less. And there's nothing we could ever do to make you love us more. And I thank you, God, that when I look across this room, there are marriages that I've personally got to witness. Your faithfulness and your growth over time. And I thank you, God, that you are at work in my own marriage and making me more like Jesus as we go. 
And uh, forgive us, God, for, for seeing marriage too small and forgetting that you are doing something much bigger than our marriages. And so as we press in over these next weeks, I don't know how many fully, but we just as the next few weeks at least, that I, God, I pray that you would stir us to be honest about where we're being confronted and convicted. And God, help us to get on your page. Um, join you in your work. Participate in your kingdom work in our marriage. We love you so much, Father. And we just pray this in your name. Amen.